Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. And a very good Saturday morning to you. It is Drive Time Radio. I'm New York Vinny here with you live from the uh, snowy, wet, icky, Snoqualmie Pass. We're up here on the pass this morning, uh, keeping an eye on traffic and doing the show live from the hot spot in the Toyota Sequoia. We uh, were tasked uh, with uh, taking a hot spot out, uh, which, you know, most cars today come with the hot spot, uh, you know, an internet uh, little thing that you can get all of the uh, internet that you need in your car. So we were tasked with going out and seeing if we could do a show on this thing. And it uh, sounds like it's worked out pretty well so far. But then again, we're 30 seconds into the show. So we'll see how it goes as we progress this morning. Got a pretty good show for you as we will have our top five coming up. We'll spend some time with Brian Cooley from CNET and from um, uh, the different CBS car uh, websites. He was at the Consumer Electronics Show. And let's face it, folks, we're all driving computers with wheels on them. There's no, no, I mean, there's a little engine in there that makes the car go. But for the most part now, it's a series of computers with, engine, with an engine that makes it drive around with wheels, and that's what you're driving. So the CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, now becomes so much more about cars than it did back in the day when it was like, you know, what's the new stereo that Pioneer is coming out with? And we'll talk to Brian Cooley about that and get his thoughts, find out what's new in the world of automotive and the CES. And we'll also have our cartoon of the week, The Who Makes an Appearance. This week on the Cartoon of the Week, and we'll have our Drive Time Road Test of the Week for you as well. Boy, what a uh, what a crazy weather week. I've been kind of shuttling back and forth between Snoqualmie Pass. I had to go up there a couple of times for an event. Uh, and, I'm, I, again, as I said, up here again this morning. And uh, just uh, it, it just rains and rains and rains, which is really what it does here. So for people who complain about that. I actually like it. After being gone for so long, it's kind of nice to get back in the, I don't know, feel like a little bit uh, like I got moss growing under my soles or something like that. It's, it's kind of, I don't know, it's comforting. Is that a right way to put it? It's comforting the rain and the snow. Now, the snow's a little outrageous, but it was really fun this week to be up there and see, uh, you know, all the kids come in and so on and so forth, and learning how to ski and learning how to snowboard and all the different things that the schools do during the winter to bring the kids up there in the snow. really was kind of a lot of fun to uh, watch that. Also, I've been looking for an apartment this week, and man, I got to tell you, house hunting in Seattle, looking for a place to live in Seattle or its environs is it's just depressing, man. It's just really really kind of depressing when you get down to it. You know, you go and you look at places and you see places. I looked at one place. I just got to tell you this before we get to the um, get to the top five. I looked at one place and it looked so good in the end. And I mean, it was, you know, it had, it had a beautiful walk-in shower and a nice kitchen and it was just, it was beautiful. I mean, it was outrageous over in West Seattle where I want to be, where, you know, my neighborhood, I love that neighborhood over there. It was gorgeous. So I, I look at the address, and I say, boy, you know something familiar about the address, though? <laughs> something reminds, Something's not right here. So sure enough, the other day I go, I got like a 5 o'clock appointment to go there. I go, and as I turn the corner to go onto the street, I realize that the church that I got married in is right across the street from the house. There's that church right there on California Avenue, Hill Street. And I got married in that church, uh, you know, about 15, 18 years ago, whatever it is. 
And I looked at that and I said, you know what? For my own mental health, I don't think I can live in this place. The last thing I need to do is wake up every morning and look at this church that I got married in. Oh, Lord, well, I'll just be, I'll be disturbed. It's bad enough that I want to, you know, now you're going to wake up every morning, you're going to look at this church across the street. Nah, I don't think so. I don't think that was the way to go. So next to that apartment, the quest continues as we continue here on Drive Time with the top five. Time now for this week's top five. The five things you need to know about cars and car culture this week. Oh, and do we have a top five for you this morning. I think the first thing that you need to know this morning is, uh, and we've talked about this car from time to time, the Mustang Bullet movie car. It just became the most expensive Ford Mustang ever sold at one at auction. You've seen this car, and we've talked about this car on the air a number of times from when it was discovered to when it was put on display at the auto show in Detroit a couple of years ago to, uh, you know, it's, it's different meanings in American manhood. Uh, we've talked about this car ad infinitum, but the car was sold. Uh, the owner of the car sold it at Meekum Auctions down in Florida. The highest sale price of any Mustang ever at public auction, and probably as it should be because it's arguably the most popular Mustang ever. $3.74 million is what that car went for. Now, this was a car, there were a couple of cars in the movie, but this car was the main car that was used in the movie. McQueen drove this car. It was uh, bought from the movie company by a San Francisco police detective. That police detective kept the car for a while, sat on the car for a while, drove it every day, and then sold it to this guy in New Jersey. The guy in New Jersey kept the car in his garage for years and years and years and years, and finally a few years ago brought it out of uh, of the garage, put it on display, and then decided that it was time for him to, uh, to sell the car. Uh, Steve McQueen even wanted to buy this car from... Uh, this guy at one point called him up and said, hey, I'll offer you this, that, the other thing for the car. And he said, no, I don't want to sell the car. Imagine Steve McQueen calls you up, wants to buy the bullet car, and you don't want to sell it to him. Anyway, that car went, uh, again, at the, the Meekum auction in Florida. It was live on TV. If you go to that Velocity channel, I think it is on TV, they probably will replay uh, the moment of the sale, $3.74 million is what that car went for. So congratulations to them. By the way, I happen to know that the owner of the car, and this is a groovy thing about this, um, was involved and is involved with some people I know that are doing uh, Parkinson's disease funding, uh, research funding, and putting on different events for Parkinson's disease. And a portion of the proceeds from this car uh, went to that uh, organization for uh, Parkinson's disease. Uh, Now, for Parkinson's disease, but for research on Parkinson's disease. So, uh, congratulations to them. You know, the Hummer. Remember the Hummer? Went out of business a few years ago. GM had that big... Uh, if you drove down the street, one, I mean, I had one for a test vehicle one year, um, and people were throwing stuff at me as I was driving it down uh, California Avenue, West Seattle. Well, guess what? It's coming back. The Hummer is on the way back. But you're not going to be able to revisit it because it's going to be an electric pickup truck. GM is going to put the Hummer out. Uh, you'll see it on Super Bowl Sunday. You'll get a preview of it. LeBron James has been hired by General Motors to show off this new little pickup that they're coming out with that looks like the old Hummer, except it's environmentally conscious. It runs on electric. So you can look at that coming up in the uh, Super Bowl uh, commercials 
uh, that will be on. You'll probably be able to see that spot beforehand, but I saw some artist renderings of it, and it actually looks pretty cool as long as you can stop and tell everybody that it's not a gasoline Hummer, but an electric Hummer, and you really have had uh, religion, and you're now saving the environment. So you get this job, right? Your job is to be an engineer on the new C8 Corvette, right? The new mid-engine Corvette. That's your job. You're an engineer. You may be in charge of the air conditioning system. You may be in charge of something else. So, in exchange for doing this job, you get to get a Corvette and drive it home. Drive it around because you got to test the systems, right? Awesome. Beautiful thing. Well, maybe not so beautiful. Two engineers from General Motors, two employees, who uh, got themselves in a world of trouble down in Bowling Green, Kentucky, as they were caught racing two C8 Corvettes through the streets of Bowling Green, Kentucky. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Bowling Green, Kentucky, but the town kind of runs on the Corvette. The factory is there. The National Corvette Museum is there. The whole thing is there. And it's uh, it's pretty wild that these two guys would get caught doing this. They were arrested by the cops. Uh, they were Their Corvettes were taken away on flatbeds. And I'm going to tell you as a guy who has driven press fleet cars for a long time, that the last phone call you ever want to make when you have one of these cars is to the car company saying that your car was impounded. It's it's just not the phone call you ever want to make. So these guys, are, nobody knows quite yet what is uh, going to happen with these two guys or these two Corvettes, but something tells me uh, they're going to be working on, <laughs> I don't know, what you what's the lowest thing you could work on and cheat the return of the Corvair might be where these two guys are going to be shuffled. If I mean, GM has all these tracks that they can go to, and they can go drive on, and these two idiots decide to do it on the streets of Bowling Green. And our final thing this morning uh, on the top five, one of Dean Martin's cars is going to come up for sale at one of these auctions coming up at um, uh, this next auction season coming up. We're full tilt boogie into the auction season right now. But later this year, a number of celebrity cars will be coming up. And we will keep an eye on those for you and let you know who knows. You could be driving around in Frank Sinatra's Chrysler Cordoba in the near future. That's the top five. We come back from CNET. Brian Cooley joins us. We'll talk to him about the CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, coming up on Drive Time. I'm New York Vinny on 1150 KKNW. No matter how you say it, cruce con la verde, en el medio pierde. It always means the same thing. Atravesate soltanto al segnale verde, mai nel mezzo della strada. Cross at the green, not in between. Que tarriba de gas, norden vences green, nit erges zwischen in mitten vom block. It means cross at the corner, never in the middle of the block. Don't walk until the light turns green. Always cross at corners where motorists expect you and where you can see them. Cross at the green, not in between. In any language, it's a way of life. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Use your eyes to look up. Use your ears to hear. Walk up to the corner when the coast is clear. And wait, and wait until you see the light turn green. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle. Talk radio that will get you thinking. Alternative Talk, 1150.
You're listening to Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. Right back with you here on Drive Time Radio. New York Vinny hanging out with you in on the snowy Snoqualmie Pass live as we keep an eye on traffic. If you are coming up this way from the city or from anywhere, you are required to have traction tires and you cannot be uh, a big guy. This is no no wide loads uh, coming up there. So if you're like me, a big guy, you probably don't want to come up uh, to the top. No, if you are coming up, though, make sure you have... Uh, your all-wheel drive, because if you don't have all-wheel drive, they will not let you come up to the top of the uh, Snoqualmie Pass. They are stopping people. I just saw them doing it uh, a little while ago. But it is snowing up here. It's wet on the way up. Uh, icy and slushy are the traffic conditions on the way up. But once you get up here, uh, if you can get up here, it's starting to get crowded. It's that time of the morning at uh, 818 where things uh, start to get uh, a little wild, little nuts up here as everybody starts to bump into each other. By the way, I'm not a skier. I don't uh, I don't participate in that kind of thing. I do tube. I get in the tube and try to slide down a um, slide down uh, the side of a mountain and do that if I can. All right, do we have Brian? All right, we get a chance now to spend a couple of minutes with a gentleman. Who uh, you see him on TV, you hear him on radio. He's all over the place when it comes to electronics, to tech, uh, to high tech, to all kinds of things uh, that um, involve anything more than just picking up a pencil or um, any kind of manual type of writing instrument. Brian Cooley is, uh, I believe, now the managing editor at CNET and also writes a lot about cars on their car site, and he joins us now. Uh, from the CES, or actually was at the CES. Brian, good morning. How are you? Hey, Vinny. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for uh, spending a couple of minutes with us. Uh, probably one of the most insane places on the planet, Las Vegas. With the CES, it becomes doubly insane down here from what it looks like. Yeah, you got you know about 180,000 people fly in. Uh, they don't call it the Consumer Electronics Show for some branding reason. They just call it CES, but that's what it is. It's all about consumer electronics, but it's also a lot about the media we get over electronics these days. It's about how we're marketed to over electronics. So it's broader than just the devices, and it's the it, it's at least the tide for the biggest electronics show in the world. There's a there's a big one in Europe, big one in Asia, but this one is as big or bigger than anything out there. So it's nuts. Does Vegas add to the insanity of it, or does it almost seem calm compared to the rest of the city? No, Vegas makes everything crazy. You know, you take it, and then you add Vegas to it, and then it's nuts. It's just too much. But <laughs> nothing can calm down Vegas, and nothing you add Vegas to gets calmer. So it's it's fever pitch. It was a crazy question, but I thought I'd ask it anyway. Uh, I look at that show now, and especially with the North American International Auto Show, dropping from January back to June as really um, the first big auto show of the year because there's so many automotive-involved um, electronic devices and things. And I'm not just talking about radar detectors, but we're talking about now touch screens for cars and all of the things uh, that now we take for granted in a car premieres at this show. Yeah, this has become a major auto show. And as you mentioned, Detroit used to be, I'd normally be on a plane to Detroit right now and getting ready to cover the auto show. They were always a bookend. And Detroit is the biggest auto show in the U.S. by a fair margin. But it has now moved to June, as you said, for a variety of reasons. They don't want to compete with CES. A lot of their biggest automakers that show up were actually saying we're going to hold what I would say is the best stuff for CES and then show things that are actually less interesting at the auto show. You know, the sheet metal, the power, the array of new models. But at CES, you get things like, here's what the car can do from the cabin. Like uh, at, at CES a couple of days ago, Amazon showed off what I believe is the first way you can pay for gas by voice. They have Alexa integration coming in cars. That's not new, but with a automaker and a, or, sorry, with a gasoline brand. So ExxonMobil is going to light up about 11,000 of their stations with this technology by end of the year, where when you pull in, you just say, Alexa, pay for gas at pump X. So all you got to do is say what pump you're going to activate. It knows that you're at the gas station because it does a GPS thing on the back end. 
It knows how to pay for it because it's using your preferred payment method on Amazon, which, of course, Alexa has access to. You do still have to get out and push the grade button for regular, mid, or premium. And what a shame. You still have to put gas in the car. But one day they'll figure that out, too. But this is the first time you can actually just say pay for gas instead of pulling out a card or swiping your phone. It's a micro-improvement in convenience. This is not going to change anyone's life. But for Amazon, it's really cool because it puts them in the mix of a major slice of what we buy that they had no visibility into before because they don't sell gasoline. But now they're going to start to know how and when we use fuel. It's a very interesting strategy. How far have they, Amazon, coming along with automotive? I mean, I, I think there were some rumors at one time that they were going to get more involved in that space. Obviously, this is a piece to that. Will they one day compete with Apple for cars or... Uh, uh, or will they just stay electronic and, and consumer-oriented purchases? They'll stay electronic. I think Apple will as well. I think all the rumors that Apple's going to actually build a car, I think we can put those to bed now. Uh, being The car-making business is a, is a crummy business. It takes a ton of money to do it at all, and if you have a ton of money and can do it at huge scale, you make a modest percentage return. It's a huge amount of dollars, but it's a pretty modest return rate. And if you don't make it, you join a graveyard of heavily funded companies that peter out. I mean, look how long Tesla's been in play. Look how hot the Model 3 is. And you have no problem finding respected financial analysts who short the stock and say, we're not sure Tesla's for real. And that's after all the work they've done. So automotive building is not a lot of fun. Getting integrated into cars is where the, is where the hot, hotness is. And so that Amazon story I mentioned was part of a big trend, maybe the biggest trend at CES, which was Amazon Alexa showing up in more cars. So General Motors showed me how their cars are going to now soon have uh, Alexa built in uh, right at the factory level in the vehicle. The key then is that the Alexa skills can actually operate parts of the car, not just play music from your phone in the car or open your garage door at home as you approach in your car. So I could say turn up the climate control, unlock the trunk, uh, maybe do some other things in the vehicle with lights or locks. They will not let you do things like cruise control, turn signals, or anything else that is driving-related. That is both hard to sell to the public and probably impossible to sell to regulators right now. But they're getting deeper roots in the car with Alexa Voice and the Alexa Smart. That's how Amazon's going to go, not by selling cars. And we're talking to Brian Cooley, who is the editor in launch at CNET, who's joining us after the CES in Las Vegas. Uh, th- there has been talk, uh, obviously, with the distraction factor in some of these things. As you sat in some of these cars and, and used some of these devices, less distracting, more distracting. You know, it's going to be, i got to be honest, it's, it has high potential for distraction. What these automakers are doing is putting in more and bigger screens, as you mentioned, and as many of your listeners have seen. A lot of cars now have all video dashboards and large video center screens, what we call the center stack, the Tesla look. That's getting real common. It's not just on high-end flagship cars anymore. Sometimes it's on a mid-priced car and standard. That's a big change. Once you have LCD everywhere or OLED, whatever the video technology is, now you can start to put anything there. What used to just be a speedometer had to always be a speedometer. Now a digital virtual speedometer can be a map when it wants to be, can be a movie when the car is parked, can be some other kind of assistance, a graphic that shows you how to adjust these super complicated seats we have now. That, it creates a possibility for more um, complexity, more variety, more flavor, but that means a lot more modes you can be in, and those, I feel, draw my attention into them. There's not much to stare at on a Speedo. I glance at it, I get it, I look back at the road. But if there's things on a multimodal, faceted screen, there's more deepness there, and I think that's something we're still combating. You know, no one's letting you watch a movie while you drive. That's a given. But even adjusting functions of the car are so rich and in-depth now, it's a form of distraction. Yeah, as you looked at center, that space between the speedometers is more in there now in um, you know, two clicks of your steering wheel than there was probably 10 years ago in the entire dashboard. Yeah, even that little helper screen between, let's say, the Speedo and the TAC, which we see on a lot of, we've seen that on cars for a few years now. Even that's kind of a rich little in-depth place to go. But then look at these giant center screens. I mean, in the center of the console, we used to see them only on Teslas. Now we see Dodge Ram, or Ram trucks, I should say, that have enormous Tesla-sized screens. Look at the new Mustang Mach-E electric uh, crossover that's coming later this year, a giant center console screen. So the days of 
having a modest amount of LCD real estate and mostly gauges and buttons are almost over or rapidly ending in the next few years. Welcome to a screen-based cabin, and that has to be managed carefully. Now, besides the little thing, the little robot that brought you toilet paper, which I uh-huh. saw and I thought was maybe the best thing at the show, what was the best thing that you saw, in your opinion, at the show? You know, uh, you're mentioning the thing called the Rollbot, R-O-L-L-B-O-T, from Charmin. That was kind of tongue-in-cheek. It was a real robot. It does bring you TP. When you're sitting on the can, you realize you're all out, and there's not another roll within arm's reach. We've all been there. So this little guy, you hit a thing on an app and say, I'm out, and it will bring you the TP, and it also knows where to bring it to you because it follows the Bluetooth emanating from your phone. It uses that as kind of a little beacon. Kind of clever. Not meant to be serious, but meant to be a serious idea of how companies like that toilet paper, are thinking about becoming involved in digital electronics. They're trying to find out what the pain points are. What do we have a long-standing need to fix? That isn't necessarily the way to go about it with a dedicated robot. However, it's the right thinking. Another thing that I thought was really interesting that uh, I also showed in that CBS This Morning segment was this little tiny, I don't, you'd call it a drone if you saw it, but it was what they call an aerial camera. It's a little tiny thing about four inches square, has four little propellers, just like a drone. You turn it on, let go, it flies out about six feet in front of you, has an image recognition camera so it can figure out what your face is, or if there's a bunch of faces, you and your friends, it backs up and back and forward to frame the shot just right. It turns left and right to frame it, takes a shot, and flies back to your hand. It basically solves for the fact that our arms aren't long enough. And the phone companies have been trying to do this by making phones with cameras that have wide-angle lenses, really big trend lately. That's fine, but it can't do what this visual robot can do, flying out and framing up a beautiful shot, getting kind of a high angle maybe. Soon it'll be able to do a short video clip. I I think that kind of thing might have legs, but it's not going to replace most of our photos. It's for folks who are maybe going on vacation or going out partying with their friends and want to take the aerial camera with them for a special occasion. It was really cool. It's going to be great for people like us that have to shoot our own video when we review cars. We can just throw it up and walk around the car and it'll follow us. Yeah, that kind of thing is another example where you you know, you know might have a specialized need. But I think the uh, uh, the Air Picks, it's from a company called Air Selfie, at $99 is also key. And that street price should be lower than that if they can get this thing to market, as they say. Uh, it just, just goes to show you we can take existing behaviors. And we can say, what's the pain point, whether it's sitting on the can needing toilet paper or whether it's my arms aren't long enough for the right selfie, how do we solve those pain points? They're simple pain points. They're not life-changing. But millions and millions of people will say, oh, yeah, that is a pain. I do want to fix that. Brian, it's good to catch up with you, man. I really appreciate you taking a couple of minutes this morning. Good to hear your voice again. Let's talk again soon. Thanks, Benny. Always good to talk to you. Have a good morning. Same here, you too. Take care. Brian Cooley, uh, editor-at-large at CNET, talking about the uh, automotive aspects and a few others. Yeah, that little robot that you, brings you toilet paper. I mean, what really more do you want in life than that? Never stranded again. All right, it's Drive Time Radio. When we come back, we'll have our cartoon of the week right here on Drive Time Radio on KKNW 1150. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly... It's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Some people know a good thing when they hear it. Alternative Talk 1150. You're listening to Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. All right, back with you here on Drive Time Radio. As the gentleman said, I'm New York Vinny. We are live 
at the uh, Sirqualami Pass. If you're coming up, as I said, be cautious, be careful. Make sure you have traction tires, chains, whatever you need to get up the hill because it's a little treacherous this morning. Uh, the sun is starting to come up. It's still kind of gray and, and foggy up here, but it's getting better. People are turning out and having a good time and uh, are going up and down the mountain, doing their skiing and drinking their hot chocolate. Did you know, by the way, that there was a, uh, a museum of s- skiing and snowboarding? Did, did, did you have any idea? I, I didn't. Boy, you go away for 10 years and everything changes. Um, there is at the at the peak at the uh, Snoqualmie Summit there. When you, uh, you know, you get off, there's you drive down the main street there, the only street there, really, when you look at it, uh, toward Hayek, and there's, um, there's the Museum of Snow Skiing, the Washington State Museum of Snowboarding and Skiing. Now, I tried to get in there a couple of times this week to interview somebody because even though I'm not a snowboarder or a uh, skier, Per se, I know, you know, people like that kind of stuff. I'm not a hunter, but I still talk to people about uh, hunting equipment that goes on cars or a race car driver, but I still, you know, uh, but they were closed. I'll have to check out and see if they're open uh, this weekend. Maybe we'll have them on the show at some point as uh, we have a new feature that we're going to do as the weather starts to get nicer uh, where we feature different day drives that you can do. Um kind of the uh, drive time road trip if you will we uh you know give you suggestions on places that you can get to within one day all right time now for the cartoon of the week i gotta go back into my past for this one but i thought it was unusual enough that we would we would play it because it's by a group that you don't usually associate with car songs. It was originally done by Jan and Dean back in the 60s, but none other than The Who did a tribute to this song, did a, a cover of this song uh, as a single in England in, I believe, 1966, and darn if the thing didn't take off. So it's a car song. It's about American hot rods, the bucket tea. I remember the first time I heard that song back in the... Uh, in the 60s, I used to be into car songs, obviously, back then when I was a kid. And my friend Joey Tomasello says to me one day, Oh, you got to listen to this song. You got to listen to this uh, to this song that I found. It's by The Who, and you're going to love it. And we go up his apartment, and he's got the record, and he puts it on it. It was a collection of kind of uh, bootleggy kind of Who stuff, uh, you know, that was around, but not on any particular album, he put it on, and I heard that thing, I said, now that's a cool song. And it was, uh, again, a remake of the old Jan and Dean song, uh, Bucket T, and that is uh, our cartoon of the week right here on Drive Time Radio. Speaking about tuned-up cars, the Acura RDX. I'll tell you what I think about it coming up next right here on Drive Time Radio. No matter how you say it, cruce con la verde, en el medio pierde. It always means the same thing. Attraversate soltanto al segnale verde, mai nel mezzo della strada. Cross at the green, not in between. Geht darüber de gas, nur denn wenn es green, nicht ergeht zwischen den Mitten vom Block. It means cross at the corner, never in the middle of the block. Don't walk until the light turns green. Always cross at corners where motorists expect you and where you can see them. Cross at the green, not in between. In any language, it's a way of life. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Don't cross the street in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, in the middle of the block. Use your eyes to look up, use your ears to hear. Walk up to the corner when the coast is clear. And wait, and wait, 
Alternative Talk 1150, online at 1150kknw.com. You're listening to Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny. And me, I'm New York Vinny, and you're listening to Drive Time Radio. That's the radio show. We get together here every Saturday morning at 8 o'clock, talk about cars, about life, about... uh, Whatever we need to talk about. By the way, congratulations to the Seahawks. That's going to be kind of wild. Um, the uh, playoff game in Green Bay uh, that takes place tomorrow. That should be a, a ton of fun to get together with people and watch the that. Uh, you know, Green Bay has always been an interesting place for the Seahawks. When I used to do the pre- and the post-game shows, got to go to games there. And if you're a football fan, no matter what team you're a football fan of, you should go to Lambeau Field at, at one point in your life to see a game. I've lucky enough to have been there a couple of times uh, for different playoff games, and even once when it wasn't a playoff game. And uh, it, uh, it it really is an experience. It's like going to the church of uh, football. I mean, the Hall of Fame is in Canton, uh, but for my money it should be in Green Bay. Just the whole game day atmosphere, the stadium, uh, everything is just phenomenal. And, of course, if you've been a Seahawks fan as long as I have, you always uh, you always remember Matt Hasselbeck and give me the damn ball, we're going to win the damn game. <laughs> oh, give me the damn ball, we're going to score. <laughs> now, they didn't, obviously, but that was, I, I mean, that was just a statement about the Seahawks. That was, to me, and we'll get to our review here in a second, but to me, that was always the coming of age of the Seahawks. That was like the the nerviest thing that any Seahawk had, I think, ever said, maybe since Brian Bosworth was there. Right? I mean, he really, I, you know, and back then, I don't know if they had it to back it up, but with the Hasselbeck Seahawks, I mean, it was obvious that that team was going to go somewhere and do something. And could beat other teams. And for Hasselbeck to say that, it, it was just, it was this electrically charged moment in the franchise. And I know that Russell Wilson is this, and uh, uh, Clowney, and all the guys that are there now, it's a whole different scene, and Pete Carroll. But to me, that moment, that moment in time, was just always the moment for the Seahawks that said, this is an NFL football team right now. When the quarterback has the confidence to stand in the coin toss and say that in Green Bay, in the cold weather, when he can do that, that's it, baby. You're a franchise now. you got possibilities. Um, now, it wasn't until... What was it, a year later or two years later when they actually wound up going to the Super Bowl? But in my book, that was when they were legit. That's when all of the uh, Rick Myers and all of the other stuff uh, that, that, you know, peeled, <coughs> excuse me, peeled away from what had been. What had been was no more, and it was just a whole different um A whole different feel to that franchise. So I had a, you know, I'm a sports guy, so I have to throw the sports stuff in there every once in a while because it's, uh, you know, it's what I do, right? I do sports. And uh, it was just a, a spectacular moment for the franchise. And I just always, always will remember that, you know, just, just you know, uh, you know, give us, get, we'll take the ball and we're going to, we're going to take it and we're going to win. We'll take the ball, we'll go boom, 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 boom. Thank you, Matt Hasselbeck, for a legitimate. When we always talk about Russell Wilson, let's never forget also Matt Hasselbeck and what he was able to do, uh, and Mike Holmgren and what they were able to do for this franchise as well. All right, enough of sports. Let's get to cars now. Uh, time now for our review, our road test, our take it out on the road of the week. 
the Drive Time Radio Road Test. Every week, Vinny puts another car through its paces and lets <clears throat> you know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's nothing but good this week as we roll the road test in the 2020 Acura RDX A-Spec SUV. Now, I'm going to admit right up front that it's been a while since I have spent this much time in the Acura and driving the RDX from the rain to the snow and on the ice, just about every condition short of blizzard that you're going to encounter here in the Northwest, I really think I was missing something. When you first meet up with the RDX, it hits you as longer than it really is. Maybe a part of the floating roof line design trick that seems to be popular on Japanese long roofs these days. Even though the RDX is manufactured in Ohio, Acura muscles up the sides of the RDX with shoulders over the wheel wells, long tail lights, and wide door entrances. One more thing, as an old muscle car guy, I love the sculpture of the hood. It had me looking for a hood scoop more than once, but it kind of comes up into a um, into two bulges on each side. Just gives you that feeling of uh, aggressiveness on the hood. Uh, but every once in a while, looking over that hood, it tossed me back that I was looking for that 429 Cobra Jet um, hood scoop to be sitting out there. Inside, the A-Spec cranks up the interior leather to two-tone red and black. It ventilates the comfortable seats and upgrades the entertainment system to 16 speakers. That's what the A-Spec package. The problem here is the interface with the entertainment system. It sounds great, but it takes too much to operate when you're driving the car. You have to put your finger on uh, um, a touchpad hold the touchpad, move the um, uh, the cursor in the touchpad, keep holding it. If you take your finger off, it goes back to zero, zero, point 0.1. And to be honest with you, you can't do that when you're driving. I mean, we, we have so many other things that are taking our attention away. The least possible distraction, it makes it in my book for these things. If you don't have, if you have too much distraction, you can't, it's tough to operate a vehicle, I think, for the average person. And this one was too much distraction. So if there was anything bad or wrong with the uh, with, with the RDX, it was that system. I hope they'll look at that and improve it. Uh, but the interior was roomy. It was spacious. It had great seats, comfortable very supportive on a long trip. As I said, the two-tone black and red leather really looked cool, and there was plenty of room behind the uh, second seat for cargo and even a little compartment under the cargo floor. So as far as fitting things in there, um, it, it looked like it would take just about anything you wanted to take it anywhere you wanted to go. Now, the Acura's 272-horsepower turbo four gives you plenty of power to get you out on the highway and all-wheel drive which is a two thousand dollar option keeps you on the highway in bad weather uh, of course which we're always seeing here in the northwest in the winter time driving modes are just a twist of the wrist to go from sport to snow and adapt the rdx to road conditions uh whatever it throws at you anything that the it seemed from ice to snow, to uh, wet roads, to dry roads, the RDX handled it perfectly. The steering and handling is, well, I, I call it accuristic. It's uh, just what you expect. Not too heavy, not too light, just enough road feel to keep you interested in the snow. The RDX behaves well. It goes right where you point it. The wheels bite nice so that you never feel uh, unstable or like you're moving off one side to the other. And of course, it has all of the modern safety stuff like the lane change and the front and rear collision prevention. So all of that stuff is there. The only thing that was, and, and this is not just the RDX, it's all these cars, you have to make sure that in snow and in slush that you keep those systems clean. You know, they emit radar from the front and the back of the car and you got to get out, you got to clean them. If you don't, 
that light's going to come on and they're going to be ineffective. So you have to make sure that you do that. But uh, snow, sleet, rain, it was like the post office. It just kept on delivering and went right exactly where it was supposed to go. Now, the 2020 Acura RDX A-Spec I drove, stickered at 45800 bucks, nicely equipped, six-year, 70,000-mile warranty on the drivetrain, four-year, 50 on the vehicle, five-star safety rating from the U.S. government, and it is built, as I said, East Liberty, Ohio. 26 miles per gallon on the highway, 21 city, 23 overall is what it advertised, and I found those numbers to be attainable. I think I got actually a little bit more on the highway in the better weather. Obviously, the worst weather wasn't as good. I was really surprised by the Acura. I expected kind of a staid, soft, um, boring vehicle. Does You know, like, like Hondas and Acuras, they do what you expect them to do. They're reliable. They're great cars, but nothing out of the ordinary, really, except if you buy, you know, the, the, the Honda Civic Hot Rods or something like that. Um, this one really surprised me. When I drove up to the snow and back a few times was a roomy, stylish, nicely handling, comfortable family car that did whatever I asked it to. And the bottom line was it made me smile while it was doing it. So uh, I give it, you know, five stars. I thought it was a great car. It did a lot of nice stuff. And highly recommend if you are in the market shopping for an entry, I guess you would call it an entry-level luxury SUV. Uh, you know, because they come in three trim levels. They start in the mid-30s, end up close to 50 if you get all of the bells and whistles that you can possibly get on the car. So I guess you would call it entry-level um, mid-size SUV. Uh, I thought it was a spectacular package. And, and as I said, it won me over. I usually find Acuras to be uh, somewhat, you know, I don't know, just kind of stayed. You know, it's a good car. It'll get you where you're going. But this had a little more to it. I like that they, uh, that they punched it up, put better tires, put better wheels, uh, punched up the engine a little bit, and made it a car that uh, that has a little bit of excitement in it. That is, of course, this week's uh, Drive Time Road Test. You'll be able to find this on the website at drivetime-radio.com. And also, you can find uh, our podcast on Apple, on Stitcher, and on um, Anchor. So... We're on all of those. If you can't listen to the show exactly when we do it, you have the opportunity to listen to the show when we're um, when you know you're driving to work or whenever you wanna whenever you wanna pick the show up and uh, and do it. So that's this week's this week. By the way, uh, the car that I'm doing this show sitting in, which is amazing to me these days. I remember one time we were at KJR. This is when I was doing the morning show with Michael Knight. And we wanted to do, we, we wanted because, you know, we came into work, we started at 6, and we ended at 10. So we wanted to do a show one day that had us in traffic because we did not know what traffic was like. We were always talking to people about traffic. We had uh, Unit 6, our traffic person was there and we always had that but you know we, we still didn't have that feel for traffic so we got the big old remember that big old KJR road show that we used to have that big barouche and we outfitted it so that we could actually um, drive around in traffic one morning and do our show from traffic and people were honking, but the, the trick was, is we had to stay in the line of sight of Tiger Mountain because you had to do it by microwave. You had a, a big antenna on the top of the thing, and you had to set that microwave up so it would find the antenna on Tiger Mountain. 
and we had a few nervous moments where we kind of got out of the way, and we went this way and that way, and the next thing you know, bada-bing, bada-boom, you know, Michael and I are looking at each other going, wait a minute, we don't have a radio show at the moment, let's sit back and drink coffee. Now, you get in the car, you turn on the hot spot, you plug in your computer, and you're sitting here doing a show. It really is. We were talking about with Brian Cooley before. It, it really is amazing uh, when you think about it, uh, the, the things that you can accomplish these days. So that, um, I mean, that's that's something to look forward to. What it means, though, for you and for me and for people that do this kind of job is that we'll be able to come out and, and, and go to different places. We're hoping uh, as the show progresses throughout this year, that we'll be able to get out and meet you and say hi and uh, do our show. We're in negotiations right now to do most of our shows out on the road because we have the ability to go to different places and interview people and to do our show live from wherever it is. And we also, I do want to announce this before we go, we have a, a, a brand new sponsor that's going to join us starting next week. Uh, some people that I've done business with for years. Uh, they are jewelers, Menashe and Sons Jewelers over in West Seattle. Uh, they are coming on board as uh, one of our uh, early advertisers. Uh, we will start to hear from them next week, but I just wanted to welcome them to the show. Um, uh, welcome Mr. Menashe and his son Josh, Jack, everybody uh, to our to our family here at Drive Time Radio. Uh, it'll be fun uh, doing that show. Remember for Valentine's Day, which is coming up here in the not-too-distant future, that uh, you'll uh, keep them in mind. And as I said, we'll start with uh, with them uh, next week. We'll have advertisements on for them uh, next week. And uh, hopefully as we grow this show and get to do... Uh, you know, get to do more stuff. We'll be out there and hanging out. We're gonna, we're gonna hopefully be down in Puyallup for the big swap meet uh, that's coming up. Uh, also, some of the other great stuff. There's a whole um, website and a whole guide of Northwest Automotive events, uh, and we're and we're endeavoring to get the person on who puts that together, so that every week we can kind of uh, give you a couple of places if you're a car fan that uh, you can go. And enjoy, <coughs> excuse me, the um, the car life. The only thing I have to figure out about this whole remote thing is I have to come up with a cough switch, so that when I um, when I have to cough, I can just turn it down instead of you hearing me uh, cough into the middle of uh, <laughs> the thing. But be that as it may, all right. That's probably going to wrap it up. Matter of fact, I know it's going to wrap it up. Not probably. I don't even know why I said probably. Yet. But I want to thank, obviously, you for listening to the show. Uh, Michael back at the studio for uh, keeping me on in line and keeping the show all together. Uh, Brian Cooley, who joined us from uh, CNET to talk about the CES, uh, the people at uh, the different car companies who help us out with the show as well as, uh, again, the most important person involved in the show, which is you. We will catch up with you next week at 8 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, if the Lord's willing and the creek don't rise, right here on 1150 KKNW. Have a good week.